Well, have you been blessed through the worship through music this morning yet? Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord praise. That's. I think the Greek word for that is what you call good stuff, right? And uh, man, I, I, and just a note, uh, I think we saw this morning how you can praise the Lord with a variety of styles. And thank you so much, uh, Gilly Kids, for that. And choir, Christ of Solid Rock, I stand that you can praise the Lord with all sorts of genres. And uh, I'm just so glad to be a part of Rocky Mountain Baptist Church. And I'm excited to preach. So let's get down to it. Uh, Philippians chapter 3 in your Bibles. Philippians chapter 3. And what we're going to do is begin to read in verse 1. And we're going to try to unpack... This subject this morning, something that we're going to call the death of me. The death of me. Philippians chapter 3, in verse 1, and the Bible says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Here's where he starts out with the watch out. He says, look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put how much confidence in the flesh, church? No confidence in the flesh. Verse 4, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Put on the brakes right here. The Apostle Paul, under house arrest, in a prison setting, begins to shift the focus of the book of Ephesians to letting the people know how the Bible, how the Gospel, how Jesus actually influences your life. And we have plenty of what is called the churchianity today in America, don't we? Where church is something that we do on Sunday morning. Just the same thing as when we go to, we go play softball on Tuesday night. Or we, uh, some of you ladies do the Zumba class. And maybe some of you men do the Zumba class. And, or, you know, the water rose, whatever it may be. And, and maybe you go take karate lessons or you are in a crochet club. Often, we think of church and the gospel in the same context as other activities that we do. The Apostle Paul breaks all of that to pieces. And here's what we're going to see this morning. But if you could add up every accomplishment that you have ever made in your life, everything you have ever learned, every bit of money that you've made, every bit of influence that you have been able to spread about yourself and your family and your company, add all of that together and compared to knowing Jesus, it is worth nothing. Now, every single one of us here today has accomplishments of some sort. Some of you are accomplished business people. Some of you are veterans. Some of you have been uh, in combat. In other words, you're mothers. And you've raised kids. Are you all alright this morning? Okay? You, you've been in the trenches. Uh, there are some of you, and you, you're just great with people. When you go around town, people know you. Not because you're trying to, let's say, run for office, but just because that's the way God has wired you. Some of you can fix anything. 
I'm just amazed that some people, God has given them the ability that they can come and look at a broken piece of machinery. Like some people who say, well, what's wrong with your car? I don't know, it won't start. Well, what kind of engine does it have? I don't know, but it looks steel and it looks big, right? And you have some people, and boy, they can just come and they can fix it. There are some of you that are so organized that you can not only organize your own schedule, but you can organize a business. There are some of you that have earned degrees. Some of you have trade school experience. Some of you know how to farm. Some of you know how to, as the song says, a country boy can survive. You can skin a buck. You can run a trot line. And a country boy... All right, I knew y'all would know that in Franklin County. Y'all know that. We know amazing grace and a country boy can survive. All right? The Apostle Paul gives a hypothetical example. He says that if you could get in good with God, if your accomplishments could make you have a relationship, if your accolades and everything that you've earned could cause God to say, you know what, you've done really good. Like when you were a kid in class and the teacher says, does someone know the answer? And then you, you, you knew it and you said, I do, I do. And you said the right answer and the teacher tells you, good job, and she gives you a gold star. And then the dumb, bigger kids in the class beat you up at recess because you were the smart one and got it right. Some of y'all remember that, don't you? Bad memories, bad memories. And then you never answered another question in the rest of school, right? All of that, the Apostle Paul says, even if you are awesome, and I know some you know, like, Jeff, I hate school. I've not done very well in my job, so I've taken the opposite route. I've tried to be as bad to the bone as I could. I tried to throw off every rule. I tried to be first at being the bad guy or the bad girl. We all have some type of accomplishment that we define ourselves by. But the Apostle Paul says that if you think that you've done good, I'm not trying to be arrogant, but check this out. Now, before we check out his argument, we've got to take it in context. And all of our Bible readers and Bible teachers and Bible students here this morning understand that when we pick up the Bible, you can make it say anything you want to, can't you? There are some people that will come knocking on your door saying that they are from a particular church and that they have the true gospel of Jesus Christ and they will say the Bible says, but boy, they rip it out of context. It's kind of like, you know, if you've come home after a long day of work and a long day of school or whatever you're doing and you come in and your dog has gotten bored. Now, if you don't have a dog, let me explain that to you. The dog tears up stuff. Alright, I've come in before and Daisy has had a meltdown. She's had an emotional time or whatever. And she's gotten into the trash and buddy, it is strewn all over the kitchen. It's kind of like when you look at something that's been written down, let's say a newspaper, and then the dog gets a hold of it and you look at it and then you can read parts of it, but it's just all jumbled. You can do that with the Bible if you don't take it in context. And here's what in context means. It means when we come to a passage of Scripture, we read what is comes before it and we read what comes after it. So let's go to verse number 2. The Apostle Paul begins with a very politically incorrect statement in 21st century politically correct America. Look out for the dogs. Now, dogs are, in our society, are good things for most people. If you're a dog person here this morning, if you would categorize yourself as that, let me, let me see your hand. There's no shame. Alright, a dog person, I have mine. Okay, that's probably a, a majority. And um, how many of you would be say, I would be more along the lines of a cat person? Okay, alright, we've got a few, a little, little less. So, so here's the thing, in America, our pets, things like cats and dogs, are good. So why would he use such a term? 
Well, in the first century world, to call someone a dog was a very, very um, strong way of not giving them a compliment. Do y'all catch my drift? In fact, if you go into a Russian-speaking country today and you say, Sin Sabaka, which is you son of a dog, it has a correlation to English that we may call a little bit stronger. Now, don't go out of church saying today, I learned how to insult people in Russian. Praise God, all right? But that is a way still around the world in many cultures to call someone a dog is to call them unclean, is to call them selfish, is to call them well, what he says right here. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. Now, what was going on here is you had a group of Jews who were coming into the Gentile Christian communities and they were telling them, The way that you have a relationship with God is you must be circumcised. That's the way that you get in. Then you must follow all of the Old Testament law. The Apostle Paul comes in and says, and he says that is evil because what they're doing is they're substituting things that we can do for what Christ did. Does that make sense? They're coming in and they're saying, you have to do these things for God to approve of you. And Paul is saying, if we could have ever done that, Jesus would have had no reason to come, right? All Jesus would need to do would be say, for all the men be circumcised, make sure you never have any facial hair, make sure your hair is always in a comb over position, sleep in a suit, never listen to any... Y'all, you've ever heard that before? Jesus came and He did what He did because none of us could ever do what needed to be done. So that's why the Apostle Paul says in verse number 3, For we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God. What he's saying here is that it doesn't matter what you do on the outside. In other words, that's not a way to get to God. But the way that you're truly made right with God is when you come to that place where you confess your sin, you repent of it, you ask Jesus to come into your soul, and not just on Sunday morning, but say, Jesus, take over all of my life. Do you remember when you got saved this morning? Y'all okay? Do you remember when that time was? And you gave your life to Jesus Christ, and He came in and He radically changed your heart, gave you new desires, and the Apostle Paul is saying, that's what true worship is, when you give God what He wants. What he wants is us. Do you remember when Jesus was dealing with the Pharisees and the Pharisees uh, were trying to get Jesus put into a corner by saying, you're not supposed to pay taxes to Caesar? And that would have gotten him in trouble with the Romans. And then if he would have said, well, you know, we should pay taxes to Caesar, they would say, oh, he's just a Roman sympathizer. So you remember what Jesus did? He said, does any of you have a coin or a denarius? And they pulled it out. They shouldn't have had it anyway, being pious Jews, but they had one. And he says, whose image is on it? And he said, Caesar. And he said, many of us know, render unto Caesar the things that are Caesar's, but unto God the things that are God. Me and every single one of you, we have been made in the image of God. That means that from the point of conception until we are so old, we don't even know that we're here, maybe in a coma, what have you. We are made in the image of God and we have the sanctity of life because God has created us. And the Bible tells us that because we've been created in the image of God, we must give ourselves to God. And then he continues. Here's the hypothetical. Beginning there in verse number 5. He says, I was circumcised on the eighth day 
of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee. Now, here's what he is doing. If you are taking notes from your bulletin or your worship guide, here's what we're going to look at when compared to Christ. These accomplishments that we're about to unpack are things that are a loss compared to Christ. Number one would be an honorable family heritage. An honorable family heritage. Because you know what? It doesn't matter if your family has had an honorable service, even to the Lord, if they have been involved in church, if they've served this country or this county or this area in an honorable way. It doesn't matter when you stand before Jesus. Now, when the Apostle Paul is saying that he is circumcised in the eighth day of the people of Israel, he says the tribe of Benjamin, if we had time, and we are, boy, we are running out of time this morning. Let me get this in. If you like battle stuff, all right, and uh, we're not going to ask for an amen because that may scare some of the uh, the sweeter ones among you, you can go look in the Old Testament. And I tell you what, if somebody would just take the Bible and get Hollywood funding, and just go by the Old Testament, you could have one of the greatest battle stories slash love stories slash epics ever. And guess who comprised the bulk of the Israeli special forces in the Old Testament? The Benjamites. If you read your Bible closely, you know that they could sling a stone at a hair's breadth and not miss. In other words, they would split the crosshairs on the scope, deer hunters. These guys were absolutely 100% warriors. And he's saying, that's my lineage. In fact, the Jews were never a very populous people, were they? They were hammered by the Babylonians. They were hammered by the Assyrians. They were hammered by the Syrians. By the, the Medes and the Persians. And then the Romans come along. And you know what the reality of him simply saying this? He's a Jew in a Roman colony is, bro, we're still kicking. After all of the empires that tried to subdue and wipe out Israel, they continued to live. You know, like sometimes you, you get in a, a fight or you see one and some guy gets hit and he doesn't want to continue the fight, but he says something like, my grandma hits harder than that, right? As the Apostle Paul saying, look, we're still here. We have a long history of bravery and being a warrior, but that amounts to nothing compared to knowing Christ. Not only that, but in verse 5, high religious involvement will not benefit you if you don't have Christ. He says to the law, a Pharisee. The Pharisees were very, very strict. They memorized large passages of the Bible. I think it's very funny today when we talk about Bible memorization inside of a church. You know what happens when we say the M word? People kind of think, think it got a text, right? Like we zone out. When we are said, you need to memorize God's Word. Check this out. They memorized the Torah. If you get time this afternoon, pick up a Bible, look at the first five books and ask yourself, how long or would I ever be dedicated enough to memorize that cold turkey? Hello. He did. Not only did he do it, but the rest of the Pharisees did. These guys were absolutely, incredibly passionate about the Word of God. Not only that, but a strong moral motivation. You say, Jeff, well, I'm not a Christian, but I'm a moral person. Notice in verse number 6, he, he had so much passion that he actually persecuted the church. Now, here's where I think it's very ironic compared to current day American church life. You ever notice sometimes today, it's almost like we have to beg some people to come to church. It's quiet in here. It's like this. Well, my Sunday school teacher hasn't called me recently. I haven't heard from a deacon. 
I haven't heard from the pastor. What's the church going to do for me? I think about uh, back with the American War of Independence. Remember the Sunshine Patriots? You remember that from history books? The ones that were there when everything was going well and the troops were well supplied. They had enough powder and ball. They had enough food. But then when Valley Forge hit, George Washington kneeling in the snow, all of the Sunshine Patriots were back at home in front of a nice fire hiding from the British. But the true patriots stuck it out even in the frigid cold of Valley Forge. It's just kind of funny to me in America, and I'm not ticked off this morning, this is just something that I've observed. When I've been to other countries, third world countries, when they come to church, they bring their Bible. When you go hunting and you forget your gun, what do you do? Unless you're Rambo, dude, you've got to turn around and get that joker, Right? It's amazing how many people come today. I'm, I'm not going to bring my Bible. Seriously, you're going to take notes? No. Well, what are you doing? I'm not talking. If, if you're not a Christian here this morning, if you're examining the claims of Jesus, it does not apply to you. If you claim to be a, a follower of Jesus and you 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 know you know him for years and decades, and, and you don't you don't bring something to follow along in God's word, what what are you doing? Then sometimes you come to church, and y'all know this one. This is this is this is in the Baptist black book, uh, the little secret thing that Baptists get. Anyway. I'm cold. It's cold in here. Bring a jacket. I'm not mad. I've not had an argument this morning or this month about it. Some people, I'm cold. I'm not coming back. Well, do you own a coat? Fifty of them. You put two and two together, y'all. Then you have somebody come in with five shirts on. It's hot. Dude, you can shed some layers, just keep the chest hair under control. You know what I'm saying? Like we we only want to go to a certain point there. Right? And we make judgments on whether we're going to go back and worship the Lord and study His Word and sing praises to God based upon, check this out, this should convict all of us, based upon how comfortable we are. And I hope that when every time... We have special music where the praise band, congregational hymns, the choir singing with the Gilly children did. None of this is a performance. I hope that we make that clear. But to come to church and to pick things apart, say, I like this, I don't like this. We don't do it because you like it or you don't like it. We do it because we're praising the Lord and we want you to participate. That's one. This is not a show to say any person's better or this style is better. You're using everything we can to glorify God. The Apostle Paul had so much zeal that not only was he plugged in, he was willing to give his life for his cause. And yet many people today, and this is the biggest, it's got, I think, like five types of highlighter on it on the, the Baptist Black Book. It's bad weather. So I'm not going to go. But they're going to go to the hair appointment. Did I just step on toes or did I just step on toes? (laughs) Say, Brother Pastor Jeff, your tenure is limited here. You better stop now. For a man, keep the family safe. But he's out driving his truck all around town. And here's the thing. I don't get mad. I, I pray for the people. But if it wasn't so sad, you could develop a great stand up routine. I love to study humor. Boy, can you imagine that? 
The humor that you could get from that if it wasn't so sad. See, here's the thing. Let's just not kid ourselves. We are either committed to Jesus Christ or we are not. We are seeking our kingdom or we're seeking His. This is either something to do for you or this is a catalyst to spur you into serving Christ this entire next week. So not only will strong moral motivation and high religious involvement not benefit you, but untouchable religious accomplishment will not benefit you as well. Think about this. How many times have you tried to turn over a new leaf and failed? That's probably most of us in here. We've said, you know what? I need to, I need to change. I need to stop this. I need to have a, a new start. I need to get on the Monopoly board and, and pass go and get $200. I see, feel like I'm stuck in a rut. But how often do we start and then we don't finish? Realizing the Apostle Paul was so accomplished that he could walk into, check this out, into a room filled with Pharisees. The people that Jesus said could look across the room and see a speck of dust in your eye and cast the baby out with the bathwater. But yet he could walk into a room of the most critical people on the planet and they would look at each other and give him the two thumbs up. Notice how he goes a little bit further. He says in verse number 7, But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. See, Jeff, wait just a second. It almost sounds like you're saying that these things that we've accomplished, these relationships are bad things. This is there in your notes, but Adrian Rogers says this. What does Paul mean by loss? He means, this is so profound, that even good things are bad things if they become a substitute for the best thing. Let me me go over that again. Let this sink into our minds and our hearts. He said, even good things are bad things if they become a substitute for the best thing. Bill Gothard, a very wise Bible teacher, once said that the enemies of some of the best things in life are some of the good things in life. You see, there's everything right with trying to do well in your job, in your family, in your relationship. But if that is the end, if that is simply the goal, and the goal is not through your job and through your friends and through your relationships to glorify God, then the Apostle Paul says that it amounts to nothing. So here's what life looks like when we throw off that mentality that says, I'm good because I've done well, and we adopt the mentality that says, I am who I am because of what Christ has done for you. Number one, in verse seven, we understand that knowing Christ is greater than gaining all things. One of my friends who's a, uh, she's a missionary in Africa right now. Here's what she put on, uh, on Twitter for those of you who tweet or tweet people. All right. This is what she tweeted. It's kind of like a micro blog on on the internet if you're not familiar with it. She says, I think Jesus is asking us, will you take what you think defines you, leave it behind, and let me define you for who you are instead? What a great, great word. Not only that, we understand that gaining Christ is worth more than everything else, but our system of value changes drastically. You see, before we get right with Christ, we look at things like mission trips and tithing and involvement in the body of Jesus Christ like this church family as things that are inconveniences. They're good things that we should do, but boy, it just is like, "Ah, I guess I'll give to the Lord or maybe I'll possibly think about going on a mission trip or, uh, you know, sharing the gospel with people, which can I, can I get an agreement with y'all? Isn't sharing the gospel with people a little bit scary? 
And if you don't think so, God bless you for your courage or you've never done it. But when we get right with Jesus Christ, you know what? It's like this. Well, man, how can I not give to the Lord? Everything is His anyway. Y'all all right? Like this paycheck that I got, whether it's, well, it's never, we always wish it was more, right? There's some pious person here this morning. No, Brother Jeff, I pray that God would limit my salary. You pray that, all right? You pray that. And you go ahead and lie about other things too, all right? But it all changes. It's like I get to go to church. God has placed this person in my life so that I have the opportunity to pour into them. This annoying person came and just emotionally vomited on me this past week and they wouldn't shut up and it was just this and that. But God placed there. Y'all alright? Was that too much? To be a little bit too real? Some of y'all, that happens to you. But God places that person there so that you can pray for them. And it all changes when we realize that Jesus is the one who is worth everything. Remember when I was a kid, my dad would go on these things called um, called budgets. Called budgets. How many of y'all ever had the budget plan? You're a parent. Makes all the sense in the world. When you're a child and your parents go on a budget, they love me no more. That's, that's the difference. So we were, on, we were on a budget. We were in the mall. And they had this ice cream place that sold nuts and candies and stuff like that. And uh, I love Brazil nuts. You know what I'm talking about? Those, those nuts. And you, I mean, you could beat a man with a Brazil nut, right? Like that. That could be a weapon. You can't even take them on planes anymore. And so I, I, wanted, I wanted some Brazil nuts, but they were expensive. And my daddy gets in some... If he's here, you, you remind him of this. I'm totally over it. I have no bitterness left at all. But... But he said, we're on a budget. I said, Dad, I want some, you know, Brazil nut, please. And he's like, oh, you want a Brazil nut? I'll buy you a Brazil nut. Walks to the cash register. Yes, ma'am. Yes, sir. Can I help you? Yes, ma'am. We'll have one Brazil nut. Uh, so you, you, you want some Brazil nut? No, ma'am. One Brazil nut. Okay. And you could tell, like, she had, she had never had that happen before. And she, she gets one Brazil nut and puts it on the little way thing, you know, the little scale. And then my dad paid seven cents for one Brazil nut. And as I told you before, I'm totally over it. Here's the thing. Often when we look at giving things up for Jesus Christ, we think that it's some budget plan where we're going to give everything that we are and simply perceive one little Brazil nut of God's blessing. Notice what the Apostle Paul says here as he concludes his argument. In verse number 7, For whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, verse 8, I count everything as loss because of... Here's, here it is. Because of the surpassing worth of knowing Jesus Christ my Lord. For His sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. Now this may be a little bit too candid, but this comes from the premier Greek lexicon. If you need to look up anything in first century Greek literature, this is it. It's in your notes. It says that skubala, which is the word here for rubbish that Paul uses, is to convey the crudity of the Greek. It's all crap. Now, I'm sorry if you teach your kids that that's not a good word, but here is, from the Bible, number one, very real. Amen? 
Like, see, I'm not making this up. This comes, you have chapter and verse in the Greek lexicon. The Apostle Paul is trying to give a shocking picture that not is it rubbish or is it something that is not to be desired, but it is, and I'm sorry if this offends you, this is straight out of the text. He says, compare all of that to Jesus Christ. It's not refuge. It's not rubbish. That's a nice translation. He says, it's all C-R-A-P in comparison. Now, here's the question. How much does Jesus Christ have to be worth to put everything in comparison with Him and the Apostle Paul to use that word? He's worth everything. Jesus Christ is worth all of our devotion, all of our time. He's worth every bit of money that we can give to His mission work. And here's the key that I think often holds us back. If you've ever talked with kids, and whether the kid has played in a ball, a ball game or... Like, I, I love VBS. Y'all love VBS? It's awesome, isn't it? And Miss Angela and the other art crew that was helping the kids this past year, and they were helping these kids make these little art devices. And the kid would come, and they would show you this little art piece of art that they made. And I am very art-challenged, as Sue Beckett can tell you from the mission trip. Um, and they show you this piece of art. It's just like a piece of paper or something that they've written on and drawn on. And they're so proud of it, aren't they? Those of you who have kids or grandkids, they come home from school and they, they show you, look what I did today. Or the kid will walk off of the field after they've played a game and they're just like, yeah, we won. We're awesome. Our team. But as a parent, you don't say this, but you're the one who bought the art supplies. You're the one who provided them with the markers and the pens and the crayons. You're the one who paid for them to be able to be a part of that football team. You're the one who paid for the helmet. You're the one who paid for them to be able to play on the basketball team. In other words, every accomplishment they ever made was because of you. I think sometimes in my life, I can look at accomplishments as if they're Jeff's accomplishments without realizing that I'm that prideful, limited, selfish kid that parades around after a playoff game in peewee football saying, look at me and look at my team. And yet the Heavenly Father is back wanting us to realize that it's only because of Him that we could do anything. 